Welcome to Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Join us today as we discuss the college years. This is the Life of an Architect podcast, and I'm one of your hosts, Bob Borson. And I'm Landon Williams. And today we're going to spend some time talking about the college years, the time that we spent in architecture school. It's something that I've gotten a lot of emails on throughout the years. There's a lot of mystery that's involved with the process. What does it take to get in? Do you need to do anything to prepare for getting in? And what actually happens once you get in? It's sort of a secret club almost, like... You think your first day when you show up, you're going to walk into a room filled with candles. Everyone's wearing hoods and they're carrying like paddle boards. Oh, God. (laughs) Maybe that was just my school. (laughs) Uh, I went to, I actually said this in the last episode. So I went to the University of Texas down in Austin. Uh, 1986 is actually when I started school. And Landon, where did you go to school? Virginia Tech in 2016. Actually, no, graduate 2016, so 2011 is when I started. Yeah. 30, <laughs> was it, it is 25 years, yeah. That's what we said. The, I, think, I think the math is 26, actually. So I went to school in Dallas, uh, public school in Dallas, and I'm the youngest of, of three. I have two older sisters, and they all went to UT as well. And the thing I think is kind of funny is – for every single school, this is a little fun fact for you. So my elementary school, my high school, and my college were all, the mascot was all the Longhorns. I've been orange and white Longhorn my entire life, except for seventh and eighth grade, where I was a Marsh Matador. Their colors were cream and gold. Isn't that what Matadors wear? That, that sounds right. A little red, a little touch of red here and there. Yeah, well, both of my sisters went to UT. And I grew up a Longhorn. And so it was kind of, I mean, I just never even thought about going to any other school than UT down in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was I only found out how hard it was to get into UT later. Like, I didn't actually even send my scores anywhere. I didn't even apply to any of the schools. I don't even think I knew what the entrance requirements were to UT. It was your one and only application was to UT. That's all I did. No, people these days are applying to about, you know, a dozen or a dozen and a half. Got their plan F and G squared away. I can't even imagine. In 10th grade. I know. Well, it's not. it wasn't like that when I was a kid. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this, Landon. Um, at what point? In your life, did you decide you wanted to be an architect? Mm, the you know the fabled question. Yeah. Um, it's nature versus nurture. Were you born to be an architect, yeah. or did you decide later to become an architect? And I grew up in a family of engineers, so they must hate really, they you hate know. you. <laughs> <laughs> I am the black sheep of the family. No, um, uh, I guess it was in one of my art classes in probably seventh grade. I did a a drawing of uh, St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. And uh, I just found it fun, so I was sort of, like, really intrigued in architecture. And there was also someone in our class that was about a year ahead of me, and he was doing a lot of very artistic architectural drawings, and I thought they were really cool. And so it was just sort of a an interest at first. And I was like, oh, that's something I might want to try to pursue, architecture. Did your, did your parents kind of – were they thinking you're just another chip off the old block and going to go become an engineer like no, everybody else? No, one thing my parents, you know, really – 
wanted me to pursue, um, you know, what I wanted to do. It was sort of, it wasn't, you know, um, directly stated, but it was sort of like, this is what you want to do. This is what you enjoy. Do what you can to pursue it. I went from there and I just kind of jumped in on the deep end. I didn't have any architecture classes or even drafting. I didn't take any drafting classes. That's that's surprising, you know, because I decided, I'm not even sure I decided to be honest. I think it was almost decided for me. So I was, I think I was five years old, Uh, but it was Christmas. I think I was around five years old. And my dad, who is also an engineer, for Christmas bought me a drafting board, which was basically just like a a 30 inch by 48 inch piece of like really nice wood. It was really Mm. smooth and it was, you know, it was really nice. A T-square and a orange triangle. Yeah. And I didn't know what any of those things were, but I I was I remember opening up the the wrap. I mean, maybe it wasn't even wrap, maybe it was just leaning against the wall for another room my dad dragged it out. And I remember seeing it and running my hands over this amazing piece of wood and I thought, I'm going to make a boat out of this piece <laughs> of, of wood. wood. <laughs> yeah, my plan was I was going to I was going to cut this piece of wood up and make a boat. Yeah. Which I never made a boat before in my life. To this day, I've never made a boat. Yeah. So I'm not sure why, as a five-year-old, when I saw a piece of wood, my first inclination <laughs> was to cut it up and make a boat. Yeah. So I declared this proudly, and my dad's like, well, no, 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 that's Ooh, not what this is. Slow down. And so he goes, this is a drawing board. And this is, I, you know, I can't remember if he said, this is what architects use or whatever. But mm-hmm. but I had this thing, and all of a sudden it was, oh, this is what I do. This is, like, it almost defined me. This is This is how this goes. But I didn't do anything with it. I mean, I I sketched poorly, not very good. I I, I wish I had them. I used to do these doodles when I was younger of mm. like these snowball fights. Oh yeah, right. So instead Still of cartoon characters like throwing stuff at each other, yeah, but it'd be like one yeah. like eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. Everyone else is taking notes on what a noun is and what a verb is and all that kind of stuff, and I'm drawing this massive snowball fight scene where there was like trails behind the snowballs. Oh yeah. So there'd be like a guy who just got hit in the face with a snowball, but you would see the path that the snowball took, you know, from the person that threw it. It sounds like a Calvin and Hobbes little uh That's all I did. There. And then when I got tired of that, I drew plane fight. But instead of snowballs with their trails, it was planes with their smoke trails. It was the same thing. I just, I just swapped <laughs> Natural out. Natural transition there. That's right. I just transitioned from snowballs <laughs> to something more destructive. But when I got to high school, I took a couple years of drafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't take any art. I didn't take one art class um, in high school because I was in the band and that fulfilled whatever fine oh, arts art requirement. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and we had a really nice guy who was our drafting teacher, but he was this huge, like gargantuan man. And he was like the defensive line coach for our football team. <laughs> and I want to say he played professional football for a while. I mean, he was huge. He was like the strength and conditioning slash defensive end or defensive line slash drafting teacher coach. <laughs> we even we even called him coach, right? And so I took drafting for a couple of years, but that was it. That was the extent of any of my preparatory work prior mm-hmm. to going to college. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how I got into the architecture program because, like I said, those people were all staggeringly impressive individuals. Was there a portfolio requirement? or you No. Just, it was purely academic. That's how Virginia Tech was. We didn't have a – I remember applying to Auburn and we had to do a, a drawing, but I think Virginia Tech it was uh, – Was it of a turtle wearing a pirate hat? No, it was actually a self-portrait and you had to make an expression, a 
of some sort. So I remember doing it and uh, over the course of like two nights or something, it was sort of a, sort of like a, in our class, we had these little sketchbook assignments every week. So it was just another sketchbook assignment, I guess. Interesting. How was it? Do you still have it? My mom actually, interesting enough, like cut it out and framed it. So now it's in my room on the wall. I just drew it for the assignment. Like I didn't like, I just kept it in my book and can I, I guess I left it on my table at, at home when I left to go to college and she found it. And then I came back for like Thanksgiving, I think. I think and, it's uh, funny that it was framed and I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's funny. I, you know, every now and then I forget that I'm so old and you're not. And my, when you started telling that part, I thought, you still have a room at your parents' house? <laughs> yes. no. Do you still have like Star Wars sheets or? No, unfortunately not. You've mentioned Virginia Tech and Auburn. Did you apply to any other schools? Uh, I applied to LSU and I also applied to University of Cincinnati. So how did you, those are my four. how did you choose those schools? They were just really good schools. I remember doing a lot of research in 11th grade, just top schools in the U.S. And then kind of like regions I wanted to live in, I guess, or at least sort of explore. And we'd done a lot. I was in the Scouts when I was younger. And so we went to a lot of trips to the Smoky Mountains. And so when we visited Virginia Tech, I was just sort of blown away by the, the scenery. And you can get outside of class and you can go hike. You go travel like 10 minutes and you're in the like most scenic Blue Ridge Mountains. You can do all Well, you're, you're an outdoorsy guy. Yeah. Yeah. You mostly fish, though. Mm-hmm. So fish. did that figure that's, into that's, it? That's the only you can do it in Texas at the moment. But uh <laughs> Started getting hotter out there. Yeah, see, I was not an outdoorsy person. Mm-hmm. I was in the band. <laughs> that defines everything. Well, you know, I don't want to hear from the band people that they were both in band and outdoorsy. Yeah. I'm just talking about myself, folks. So you ended up, did, so did anybody say, we don't want you? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> don't want you. No, I guess I didn't. I mean. You, you got into all of them? Yeah, I got into all of them. So was, did that make your decision hard or did you, did you go into it going, I really want Virginia Tech, so yeah. if they say yes, I'm in. Yeah, Virginia Tech was kind of my top pick. Was it? Um, just because they were – at the moment, and I think back then they were sort of higher and that sort of – I guess how they were rated or anything. So. Did that figure – I mean, okay, so that's interesting. So uh, I actually just sent uh, – I had to fill out a form. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know this. So I just got asked to be on the University of Texas School of Architecture Advisory Council. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which – I don't know. I think it's a pretty big deal. I think and so. I uh I feel pretty proud of it actually because when I got out of college I would not have ever thought that that university would want <laughs> ever to have, want you to come back. Yeah, why would they want me to come back? Finally, we got rid of that Bob Bors that guy. guy. Oh my gosh. And so but that was one of the uh I I mentioned that and I had to answer a bunch of questions. Yeah. Um yeah. and and one of the things that I was talking about in in the answers that I'd put together was how students, when they're considering the schools that they're going to go to, mm-hmm. how does the rankings fall into that consideration? So was that part yeah. of your decision? Pro- did you look and yeah, it was, you knew where the, everybody was ranked? I mean, I didn't really know. I had no other like friends or family who could sort of give me advice on things outside, you know, other university outside of Louisiana. And so I just kind of went to the most objective kind of thing to figure out, you know, where everything kind of, where does everyone stack up? Because, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of universities. So I wasn't really well-versed in the nation's rankings at architecture or what, you know, what schools are better so than you others. Didn't, so it's you didn't sort go, of like a... You didn't go pull out a list of the rankings and then go, all right, I'll start with this and work backwards. You you kind of had... You picked geographically where you might want to be. Yeah, And then exactly. started exploring yeah. Yeah, good yeah. schools in those areas. Mm-hmm. Exactly. See, that, that blows my mind to a certain extent because I was so oblivious to it mm-hmm. that 
I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't send yeah. my transcript. I didn't apply anywhere else. Yeah. The way that people go about it now seems a lot more informed than, than how it was. I mean, maybe it was different for other people at my age. Mm. And I was just the one that, you know, like my parents weren't a part of this process. They didn't, they didn't chime in with an opinion. They didn't make sure that I filled out my application correctly. They didn't review my work before I submitted yeah. it. None yeah. of those things happened. And in fact, you know, I mentioned I was in band. I actually played a lot of different instruments and I was really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to toot my own horn. But <laughs> yeah, um, I was really good. And so I got a lot of scholarship offers to go to other schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even tell my parents about them because I was like, well, I don't want really? to go to that. I don't want to go to that school. So yeah. I would just, I mean, I look back on it now and I think like rice. Really good school. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to come be in the band. Oh, really? And, yeah. And yeah. I just was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, because I didn't, and I couldn't have told you one thing. I didn't know Rice was a good or a bad school. It just, yeah, exactly. It wasn't age. UT, mm-hmm. right? So I just didn't think about it. Thank goodness that UT turned out to be a really good school, right? <laughs> Golly. Okay, so when you got to college, did it align with your expectations? Like, did it look the way you thought it would look? Did it? I mean, you didn't know what architecture school was going to be like. Oh, yeah, no. So what was it like? I think they, I mean, I had this sort of image of people all huddled around their desks, I think, from visiting schools and this sort of massive, all of them very open studios. And so getting there day one, I think we had a group meeting of some sort, you know, in the studio. And you have, it was me and 20 other students. And, the, you know, of course, they're all, it was interior designer, architecture, uh, landscape architects, and uh, industrial design. We're all in the same studio freshman year. And right. so it's just a bunch of random art kids, essentially. And I don't even remember what a first conversation. Our professor, we know, pretty wacky as most, you know, architecture professors, I think, are. Um, but I remember he just gave us some very uh, esoteric assignment. I think the first one just kind of, you know, just throw it at us and see what we shoot back at him. And it was, it was very much like my art classes. So I was actually, I guess I was sort of used to it, um, just trying to interpret whatever the professor or teacher was trying to you know get out of you or uh, they're just trying to figure out yeah what your skill set exactly what do you know what you don't know i bet a lot of people they get there and they think i'm gonna be the worst person here yeah oh yeah yeah. so i don't know how studio was set up for you Mm -hmm. so even though it was like a three-hour credit we had classes so freshman studios you had to share a desk with somebody not at the same time they'd have monday wednesday friday classes mm-hmm. and there'd be an eight to one and then a one to six right yeah. so somebody would have that desk in the morning and then somebody else would have that desk in the evening and and once you got past freshman year you know you didn't you share own, yeah. you didn't share a desk with okay. anybody and but there was so much i mean the classes weren't very big mm-hmm. I, you know despite the fact that ut's enrollment i think when i was there was around fifty thousand people oh well my graduating class probably had less than 30 people in it Mm -hmm. it was very very small so but the there weren't a whole lot of freshman studios as i remember and the other thing was is they were renovating the architecture school the first two years i was there and they were putting us up in a off-campus school it was like a grade school so like if you went into was that where your studio classes were yeah oh wow yeah and so i mean it wasn't it wasn't far it was like two blocks away it wasn't that big a deal yeah But the thing that I remember was kind of funny is it was a it was a grade school. Yeah. So when you went into the bathroom, like some of the toilets were like 
12 inches off the floor. <laughs> they, were, they were made for like little children. Plummet. Yeah, it was. And uh, but now that I think about it, I don't remember ever using the bathroom. I'm sure just I did. First two years, never used the bathroom. <laughs> just never. not up at studio. Maybe I'm that guy, right? So, so my expectations for what studio was going to be versus what it really was were it went from not existent to jumping in the deep end. And the expectations were you're there all the time, you work all the time. And they made a big deal out of the fact that they gave us a key to the building because mm-hmm. the expectation was you will be here outside of normal business hours. Yeah, right. And this is the key that lets you come in at 1 in the morning and lets you come up here at Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings and Saturday nights. And, you know, the subtext being, hey, when all your business, you know, major buddies are out having a good time, you're going to be up here putting together – a tertiary level color wheel, right? Mm-hmm. This is the stuff that you're going to be doing. Did you have like a huge workload? I would say it probably didn't ramp up until my, I don't know if it was just per professor, but my first year was pretty laid back or I feel like it was, it was very similar to the art classes I had taken pretty quickly. So I wasn't like relearning. Like I wasn't, I didn't come in without any art, you know, classes whatsoever. Like I knew what color theory and form and composition. I knew how to draw perspectives and all this kind of did things. other did other people in the class know that no, i don't think so I, there were a couple of people i'd say maybe a quarter of the class had you know definitely taken art classes before and then the others had sort of you know dabbled i guess but then we're still kind of exploring you know mediums and ways to you know um was there architecture show. involved or was it all like no, form space color zero architecture was involved our first year did you first did studios. you use computers or you know any kind I of only use luckily i mean that was sort of it was almost absolutely banned in my first year. Like you would, I used, I learned Photoshop a little bit and some Illustrator first year, but just as a tool to display what I had done. So it's more like a um, documentation or sort of like graphic kind of like you would, you may have to make it a display board for certain projects. So um, yeah, it wasn't until second year and kind of ramped up from there. And then you started doing architecture. And of course you have to learn software and things like that. Can you believe that? When I was in school, no computers. There was no software. No Photoshop. It didn't even ex- it wasn't a thing. So the workload for us mm-hmm. was it was almost it seemed sporting for them cuz they clearly would give us a, a a task that was almost impossible to do in the time that they gave it. Now, I'm sure a big part of this was if you took a fourth or a fifth year student and gave them that same assignment, mm-hmm. they could get done a whole lot faster. Right. So like I made the crack about the tertiary color wheel. That was actually a real project we had to do. And we had a teacher who said, all right, I want you to do a tertiary level color wheel, which is primary, secondary, tertiary level colors. Right. So there was a lot. I could probably do the math was it goes from three and then it goes to the mix of all those. So what is that? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm not going to do the math. It's a lot. But out of found objects. Right. Oh. And they gave us this. Yeah, you couldn't just like take oh, wow. Prisma colors or technology and do it. You had to go find it. So all the professors were sitting in the, the lounge like, so what did you give your kids this week? Oh, there's no question. Oh, you won't even believe. <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to make a brick. <laughs> and so, uh, but the problem was, is since I was in the band, um, I think we were going to go play like Arkansas or somebody that weekend. Mm-hmm. So I had to get on a bus and go to Arkansas. So, and it was one of these, like get on the bus at 4 a.m. type of things, and then you go up there, and they make you do a bunch of stuff. So it's it's not like if you the 
you as a person wanted to go see that game, you'd just drive and go, oh, it's a it's a five-hour drive, and then I show up an hour before the game, I do mm-hmm. the game, and then I drive back. This was literally like we left at 4 a.m., and we didn't get back till like 2 o'clock in the morning the next day. And, of course, you're burnt when you like you go to bed, mm-hmm. and you wake up after even just a regular amount of sleep, and it's already 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And our tertiary-level color wheels were due that Monday morning. So we got the assignment, end of the day on Friday. They were due first thing Monday morning. And so most people had all Saturday and Sunday to put it together. And I really had like Sunday afternoon to do it. And I remember like riding, I had a moped. And I remember riding a moped around and I'm digging through garbage and I'm stealing flowers (laughs) out of people's yards and running away and hopping on my on my moped what a rebel at eight miles an hour can't catch me uh to build this and everyone's slapping their color wheels together at the last minute and we pinned them up and the teacher came in and just killed everybody because there's like glue dripping down the board Mm. and like the rose petals that you put on there are sliding out of the little pie wedge shape where they live you know and it seemed sporting at the time. Like we're teaching you a lesson here that goes beyond making a tertiary color wheel. It was about craft and attention to detail and Mm -hmm. planning your time and making sure from the time you start to the time you finish, you have all the necessary, you know, like you're organized. You have to go through this process. Yeah. Well, this was brand new for most of us and we all kind of sucked at it, to be honest. And so it was a real kind of wake up call. So I was wondering, so did you, did you experience success like right out of the gate? I think I, I mean, having a head start, I think helped me. So I don't, I remember doing pretty well my freshman year or having a grasp on what, what the professor was asking or trying to get across. Yeah. Um, so I did all right my freshman year at least. And then when they ramped it up into architecture second year, I sort of had, I was like, a, I was in the same boat with everyone else still learning what all that kind of things were. And, well, you know, it's it's interesting. So one of the things that the blog affords me is this kind of snapshot into the lives of mm-hmm. people at all age brackets and demographics and geographic locations. And one of the things that I think that resonates with a lot of them is when I got down to school my freshman year, I did not do well mm-hmm. because, well, there's lots of, one, the short version is I was pretty immature. I mean, I'm immature now, but can you imagine, at least now I have some <laughs> controls, devices in place. Yeah. So this is the first time I had left my family. Essentially, I'm on my own. I mean, I had two sisters down there, but I never saw them. And and I was free to, you know, go to bed when I want, get up when I want. Nobody was there telling me what to do or not to. I don't think that I was working as hard as I needed to. Mm-hmm. And I had this kind of moment where, you know, go back to five-year-old little Bobby B looking at this piece of wood he was going to cut up into a boat thinking I'm going to be an architect, right? My whole life. And then I get to architect school and I'm terrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. and I thought, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with myself?" I have no, I mean, I'd really wrapped up my identity as a human being up to this point as this is the road I am on. And then to discover that you might not be very good at this was sobering. And it's not really the sort of life crisis that an 18-year-old should have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, but you know, I wasn't I wasn't equipped on so many levels to deal with that. So we had to read this Italio Calvino, Italio Calvino book, the Invisible Cities book. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to read that book? Oh, we did not, no. Well, we ended up having to read it, and our task was to 
every week we had to write a postcard we had to re- like read a chapter and design a postcard and mail it to our TA and he had to receive it by that next week mm-hmm. right I'm like some people are like okay. how do you mail something <laughs> what is this mailing <laughs> you, know, you mean email I think you forgot the e you in forgot there. the e on the front of it yeah so you had to like take an index card Mm-hmm. And draw a picture of something on the front of it. Yeah. And then write a wish you were here kind of message on the back of it and mail it to the TA. And we had done a couple of them. And we come into class one day and the professors are just, they're on a tear. And they go, we want everybody in the this room in five minutes. And so they get all the people in the afternoon studios and they go into this one room. And there's like five or six of these postcards pinned up to the wall. And one of them's mine. Oh, God. And um, and he goes, they go on to, they didn't say, this is Borson's and this is Miller's and this one's, you know, Smith's or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they point him out and said, these all are terrible. If you don't figure out your place and put more effort and work and, you know, I mean, just really, it was incredibly sobering. Yeah. And. Public humili- humiliation. Yeah. Sort it, of. Well, you know, the thing was, it wasn't. It was publicly humiliating, but it wasn't. Nobody knew it was mine. Yeah, right. Because oh, yeah, you would you would draw these things and you mm-hmm. mailed them to your TA, and they mm-hmm. never saw the light of day. None of my classmates yeah. knew that those were mine. Any knew that one of them was mine. Just like I don't know who the other four people were mm-hmm. that just got shamed, but internally we all knew. And they made a point to say these ones are particularly bad, but they're all terrible. Like you're all underwhelming us right now, and and it it was one of those sobering moments where I thought. I'm not very good. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Everyone's so much more talented than I am that it actually forced me to go, maybe I need to consider doing something else. Mm-hmm. And so my sophomore year, I didn't take architecture studios. Yeah, I still took all the classes that were part of the curriculum, um, but I didn't take studio. And And unfortunately, the lesson I learned was I had even more fun my sophomore year because I had less demands on my time. Yeah. Well, it brought you back. Uh, my, my sister, yeah, my middle sister, she came to me once and she goes, mom and dad are going to pull you out of college if you don't get your act together. And, and in my world, getting my act together was you can't be making these C's. Like you don't go to college and get C's, mm. right? You go to college and you get A's. That's, that's who we are. That's the Borson way. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and now both my sister and my dad, when I brought that story up years later, they both said, no, that totally never happened. I was like, that absolutely happened yeah. because I almost soiled my pants at the idea that I'm going to have to go work at the movie theater the rest of my yeah. life. It wasn't as life-altering to them, I guess. They were yeah. sort of like, we need to get this Bob back in shape. Now, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that my sister made that up because she was taking it upon herself to write what she thought was a wrong because I, she's told me in the past that she she thought that I had the most gifts to work with, and I was the least mm. focused individual in the family. Yeah, like you need to you need to do more with the tools you've been given. Yeah, and she was kind of mature in that way, uh, far before any of the rest of us were. Mm-hmm. And um, in my third year in school, back in studio, and I did really well, and that kind of competitive fire that 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 fear of failure that Mm. performance anxiety that to this day i still have yeah um kind of finally kicked in it seems like i got all that maybe i just grew up 
maybe so, that's yeah, part of it was. If you were a third year, were you with like second year studio? Yeah. So like all my yeah. all the friends that I have now that I keep in touch with, mm-hmm. they're all the ones that were, they're all one year younger than I am. Oh yeah. Okay. In calendar years, mm-hmm. they're all more mature than I am now. But, <laughs> um, so the people that were in my 1986 class, they're all, all the ones that are my age. I don't really talk to any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to a couple, but most of them are the and and you know and the thing is we were talking about so credit hours, right? So I was in school for six years, and part of it was because I traveled abroad for a semester and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a summer in a in a fall semester. Yeah, and but my degree, I have a professional degree. It's a five year degree. That's a hundred and sixty one hours to get. And I graduated with 206 hours, I think, mm-hmm. in six years. And that, you know, I look at back at my friends that are, that are they're all doing well. I, you know, I have, I have, I've associated and surrounded myself with some quality people throughout my life. But the guys that were getting business degrees, you know, they're done in four years. And they got 120 hours. And half of them come in with 20 or 30 hours worth of credits already because of AP placement tests. I guess that's the AP test oh, yeah. so they they've already got a certain number of credit hours out of the way so they seem to be always goofing off right and i kind of ran around and goofed off with them in the beginning and mm-hmm. it wasn't until i realized yeah that just it doesn't work that way in architecture school yeah yeah a lot of my a lot of my friends in school were uh especially because i was in the honors college the first two years they were all engineers and so they there was definitely they we as many people out as possible in virginia tech's first two years i think in engineering, and so they had, they were under the same sort of stress I think I was, and just sort of working all the time. So I feel like I need to be in that same environment, sort of like very competitive, yeah. Um, which I think actually probably helped me a lot. Well, you know, um, I wonder. So, so there are schools out there, mm-hmm. and they seem to have they kind of fall into two really okay. Let's pretend there's one tree and it just has two big branches. There's those schools that make it incredibly hard just to get in, and mm-hmm. so everybody who's there can do the work. They're all Type A super personalities doing the work is not the problem, or, or rather, the ability to do the work is not the it's problem. Already there, yeah. Their their challenge is the maturity process to actually doing the work, mm-hmm. right? And then there are schools that kind of say, "Give us your weary, <laughs> you know, your we'll take anybody," and then they just pulverize you to yeah. weed out the people that don't have what it takes or don't have the focus or don't have the desire mm-hmm. or whatever variable you want to throw into that soup. Yeah. As far as how do we thin it down from the, yeah, we'll take our freshman class is 400, mm-hmm. but our graduating class is 200. How do you get rid of those 200? Yeah. And I think that's, that might be a different, at least at Virginia tech. Uh, I'm assuming, I mean, they're known for engineering. So a lot of, they take as many as possible. And then that's what they do is just sort of weed them out from the beginning. And if you applied, but then you figured out, you know, it's not actually for you or it's just way too difficult. You leave for within the first year, and they're going to make sure you know how hard it's going to be and then, you know, weed you out. Virginia Tech, I mean, architecture program, they limit it to, like, I think it was 100 or 110. And so if you don't get in immediately, you're either going to fight your way through summer studios to get in. Um, and so once you're in, you're sort of like, you know, there's so much work to get in initially. You sort of have to continue it. You know, one of the things that uh, I think about every now and then Probably more so than other people because I get emails from folks asking me, hey, I'm going to be an architect. I want to be an architect. I'm in school. What kind of classes should I be taking? And which is something that never dawned on me not only to ask Mm -hmm. because I would have had to written a letter and put a stamp on it. 
Um, but I never really thought about, so what classes do you take that are outside of the core curriculum for your degree? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I took a Kung Fu class. There's a couple notable ones that I, I go, why did I take that class? So I took a Kung Fu class, which I almost failed. <laughs> and it, It's those classes that will get you. Yeah, right, because yeah. you, don't, you don't really care. You just kind of uh-huh. whatever, show up. But for some reason, it was like 8 in the morning. Oh, and and I, you know, like I said, I, I'm not, I don't sleep late. I never have been that person, but there was something about going and getting beat up at eight o'clock in the morning. That wasn't a lot of fun. And so I remember going in day one and there were maybe 30 people in this class mm-hmm. and we're all wearing our, we're in the dojo, which was real, like the gymnasium B or something. People were playing basketball in the background. <laughs> oh, no, we had the space to ourselves, <laughs> but we had to wear like the white pants and the robes yeah. you know oh, yeah. and we had a Go- white whatever they're Go- whatever Go- they're called Go- so we had this guy this professor mm-hmm. and he was full throttle and i the only thing i really remember about him was him saying how it's not true that you can kill somebody by punching them in the nose and pushing their septum into their brain and killing them he okay. goes you have to break their nose first and then you can push it up into their brain and i was like what level class did I sign up for? Was that on the second test? <laughs> it was day one. Oh, God. This was day one. And I remember thinking, this was probably a terrible decision on my mm-hmm. part. Because I'm, I'm sure when I signed up for the class, I thought, hey, learning Kung Fu would be cool. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to be doing jump yeah. kicks and flips and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. At parties. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> really sure what I thought I was going to be doing with this skill set. So when we come back on the next time for class meets, that guy's not there anymore. And they never really explained, like, why he wasn't there. I, I think mm-hmm. somebody complained because he was so in your face. Yeah. Right? And the guy who took his place, I'm not kidding you, his name was Dr. Dashik Kim. Okay. And I think he was, like, 2,000 years old. Oh, okay. Wow. Like, right. he was he was an ancient wow. kung fu master. A living artifact. I don't think he, he floated, like, an inch above <laughs> the floor everywhere he went. Yeah. And he said, you know, hey, I'm a... Th- the five thousandth level black belt in all these different kinds of things mm-hmm. and Impressive. and I'm gonna be your professor now. And normally I don't teach. I write a lot of books mm-hmm. and I thought it would be a good idea for me to actually come back into the classroom and physically go through the moves again. And uh or like, great, we have a grand master. Yeah. You Dragon know. black belt. So this 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 super old man starts beating up everybody oh in God. class. And I don't think because of the white jackets and pants, I'm mm-hmm. not so sure that he was clear on the gender of the individuals in the class. Yeah. Because he dropped a lot of women by <laughs> punching them in the chest, oh, like God. hard. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so you're getting up for class. You're thinking, I'm going to get kicked in the up. face by this 5,000-year-old man. That'll wake you up. Better than coffee. It was not – yeah, it was not a good class. And I remember – so I didn't – I was not good about going to class. Yeah. And I show up one day, and it turns out it's like a test day. And I'm like, oh, gosh. There's tests in this class. I thought it was just, you know, you break a sweat and you get an A. Yeah. And so the way they had the test set up was this long mat. You started at one end and one guy attacked and the other guy defended and you worked your way down the mat and then you reversed roles. Then mm-hmm. the other guy attacked and the other guy defended. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. So the guy starts attacking me and I'm I'm literally just waving my arms around. Like I'm not hitting any of the poses. You yeah. would think that bees are trying to sting me with my defense techniques (laughs) and so after the class the professor basically comes over and you know the whole time this is going on the guy who's attacking me is just looking at me like you better not screw up 
me getting a decent grade in this yeah. class because oh, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. I felt bad for about a second. I was more worried about getting punched <laughs> in the face. So after the class, the professor came over and he goes, you're not going to pass this class because you don't know what you're doing. And I turned on Bob mode and mm. I said, oh, come on. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's, Bob not, mode. it's not fair that you should fail me because I didn't come to class and don't know what yeah. I'm doing. And so I was like, surely there can be some extra work I can put in to recover because woe is me mm. or whatever. Yeah. And he goes, okay. Well, here's my last book, you know, and he goes, I want you to read my book and write a one page summary of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not a particularly gifted writer, but I thought, OK, if this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. Yeah. Right. I'm the one that decided not to come to class and I have no problems with the idea that you got to pay the piper. Yeah. So I take this book back to my my room or my apartment where I was living at the time. And I start looking at it. And it was like chapter one kicking. <laughs> chapter two, punching. I was like, how do you summarize a chapter on kicking? Right? Was, he waxed philosophically. It was about so it. hard. It was probably <laughs> one of the hardest things I had to do in six years of college. Yeah. Right? Was right. One, and it was like 26 chapter. And like, you know, chapter eight was punching harder, you know? <laughs> and so I wrote these papers and I went in and I gave it to him. And he like kind of, you know, flipped through it in literally like maybe two seconds. And he goes, all right, thanks. And then in front of me, threw it in the trash. Wow. And he, and that was it. It was just punishment. Damn. And that's hardcore, right? Well, you, you never forget it now. I learned a lesson. and it, But the point of all that was I should not have burned one of my <laughs> electives yeah. taking a kung fu class. I should mm-hmm. have taken a business class or a financial class or a real estate class, something yeah. else that would have given me a skill set other than kung, kung fu, which I don't really have, <laughs> even though I took the class. Or something in the field of architecture, like yeah. you know, design or structures or professional practice. Mm-hmm. I, it's something that I I never did, and I really wish that I had. Did you, did you take kung fu? <laughs> I did not. I didn't, I didn't take anything like kung fu. Virginia Tech did have some crazy like side classes like that. Uh, actually, I think I took some pretty decent like side classes. Luckily, it was like written into the curriculum. They had a what they called professional elective classes. And you could take things that were auxiliary to architecture. So they had, uh, for instance, there was a graphics um, class. There was also a um, poster-making class. There was a pottery. I took pottery my third year. Didn't do as well as I did because I didn't take it seriously like I should have. I um, took I took a pottery class. Yeah, I thought it was fun. It was It's something that's, you know, design-related. And so we'd have the same sort of – it was within the architecture school. So, you you know, come walk out of your studio class and you'd still have the same kind of – round table discussions about people's pieces they did that week. So That's, that was fun. It also did, I didn't, I wait, 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 hold one. on, hold on. <clears throat> so you told your ceramics story. I got to tell you mine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cause that's not the kind of thing you circle yeah. back on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and back to ceramics. And we yeah, about let's go back. Cause ago. it's so great. Uh, but my last semester in college, right. Mm-hmm. I, I had like one class I had to take to meet my, my degree curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, which was a studio class because it was five yeah. years worth of studios. And since I didn't take studios in my sophomore year, mm-hmm. that's why I was there for six years because I had to have that five years worth of studios. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of those classes was a you know five-hour studio class that happened. And then I took like two, three-hour classes or something like that. And it could be whatever I wanted. And one of them was a ceramics class. It just got, I always thought, seems interesting, right? So it turns out it was a kind of a core curriculum for people that were in the fine arts program. So it was all freshmen, 
and none of them wanted to be in there because they're they're not they're there to be painters or actors or singers or you know that kind of stuff. They're not they're not thinking I'm making pottery. I was the oldest person in the class. You know, I was a six year senior in this class, and the professor loved me and he loved me because we would have conversations about design and theory and why we would do something and and he would say all right for your next class and it wasn't a it wasn't a spin class it was a building class so we did Mm -hmm. you know we started off with like pinch pots we didn't use a wheel so you rolled stuff out and you you built stuff up yeah never mastered the wheel yeah we we never even turned it on and so but we had these uh so i made a lot of bowls and the professor i had was like really he was like Renowned, he was a known glazer. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a guy that actually designed glazes, and that's how he supplemented his his professor income. I'm right? sure he loved his freshman studio people who didn't care. He did, yeah. And you know, the thing is, and I think that's part of the reason why he really like he would sit by me all oh, the time, yeah. and we would just talk while I'm doing whatever. Yeah. And he would he would give us an assignment. I want you to take five tubes and make something out of it, like mm-hmm. you, you expression. You can do whatever you want. Well. So the next time you'd come to class, here's everyone's five. And I got like 60, mm-hmm. right? I just would just keep making them. I go, what if you did this? Smash. What if you did that? Twist. What if you did that? Scrape, scrape, scrape. And I just did this over and over and over again because it was a lot of fun. So most of those kids would go to class. As soon as class is over, they're done. And they would only come back if they needed to to get whatever assignment was required of them out of the way. Mm-hmm. I actually went there off hours all the time because it was, I mean, I'm kind of, trained that when you have studio classes you spend a lot of time in this creative process yeah so i made hundreds of things yeah and i'm doing i'm doing raku and i'm all this kind of stuff and i bet there's probably i actually got an email from someone the other day who mentioned that they still have a bowl that i gave them oh really from my college days that's awesome yeah (laughs) so must have been pretty good I don't think any of them were there. like they're really. I made one once. The glazes turned out really good. It, mm. it it looked really graphic. I mean, it wasn't on purpose. Yeah, it was a tube, and I smashed it down, and it artistically smashed. It was artistically <laughs> smashed, and uh, but it had like this black and white polka dots and green. I mean, it mm. was a really cool piece. It was my favorite one, and I gave it to my dad. I'm pretty sure he threw it away. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> I need a tissue. <laughs> pause the recording (laughs) okay so let's talk about social life do you you look back and go i had an awesome social life uh i I mean i think it was pretty good i had a good balance i think um i definitely prioritized my academics before um anything else and so if i had to stay in the studio i was staying in studio but i wasn't i didn't i didn't spend you know i didn't do all-nighters it wasn't like a two times a week i'm doing an all-nighter it was i made have to do an all-nighter maybe once a month, if that. Um, did you did you have those? So we had these people that seemed to take great pleasure in being the all nighter person. Yeah, no, I was I was definitely against that sort of. That's a lifestyle decision. Like you're making the decision to spend all night there. I mean, you can. I mean, certainly you could improve. You can. There's always a way to improve your project or your process. Um, but I felt like there was a there's a line. There's a fine line. Like if I did too much work, I knew I was just gonna go crazy. Like it was just a I mentally would be just unstable, just and, that's, a, and that's what we're seeing now. Yeah, this is what this is the product. You find. <laughs> um, so I, I thought I had pretty good balance, and then of course, all my friends, most of my friends were architecture. Of course, you always are friends with your studio buds. So, they, did, you, did you have many friends that weren't in the architecture school? Yeah, a lot of the one with the engineers. Like I live with a lot of the engineers, but yeah, I think there's there's definitely a there's a balance 
you have to find for yourself. Like I wasn't the person who rolled out of bed at 11 a.m. and then went in the studio and, you know, stayed until whatever, 10 or 11 p.m. I would get out of bed and be there before 8 or 8.30 a.m. and then work through the day. And even though it is nice, you know, have a little social Well, that's part of the experience. Exactly, like share ideas and things like that. But then again, I always found it nice to have a alone time to sort of develop my own thoughts or think about what I'm going to do for the next for the week or whatever it is. Well, you're clearly more organized than I was. <laughs> yeah. I, I was never a, a late sleeper, so I I mm-hmm. got up to school yeah. at reasonable times, mm-hmm. and and uh, I didn't do too many all nighters either because I yeah. I realized that I wasn't at my best. Yeah, if, I think that's I think that's half the thing. You have to know know yourself to know you know when you're going to be your best. You can't be a person that you know stays up for a week and then expects to be you know but did you go did you go to bed though i would stay up there i just wouldn't do any work (laughs) (laughs) no i would i would have to do some work yeah no it was it was you know it became kind of my so i had two distinct groups of friends Mm -hmm. i had my architecture school friends and then i had this small group of friends which were really people i knew from high school okay yeah so i didn't even have that yeah which the interesting thing was is these are all people that i knew from high school Mm -hmm. but we didn't really hang out that much again because of band Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We didn't really hang out that much in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was that guy. I wasn't in any cliques because I was in band. Band was my clique by, <laughs> by default. It defines you. So those two groups never commingled. Yeah. I, okay. I, if I had, if there was not one single time when I had one high school friend mm-hmm. in the same physical space as a architecture friend. It was very binary. It was either this group mm-hmm. or that group. And there was a time when... This was kind of a sobering moment. It, it actually used to hurt my feelings because my high school friends, they'd go do stuff and they wouldn't tell me about it. Mm. And I felt like they didn't like me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I talked to one of my friends about it and I said, why don't you ever tell me what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Right. But he goes, we asked you to go do stuff with us for years. And yeah. you always said no, that you had to go to studio or that you were busy. Mm-hmm. And we all learned that you'll let us know when you can go do something. And when that happens... We tell you what we're doing, right? And I was kind of like, okay, that makes sense, right? Yeah. It wasn't this thing that I thought it was. No, yeah. It wasn't like that. So I thought it was important to to have some group of friends that were outside of the school. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, and the funny thing is I look back on my architecture buddies, and I'm going to see one of them. So next week is the National Convention in New York mm-hmm. City, and uh, – one of the guys that say top two or three friends of mine from from college, he and I are going to go out one of the nights when I'm up there, and I'm really looking forward crazy. to it. Well, I haven't seen him in 15 years. Oh wow! Okay. I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, and uh, and all the people that I was really good friends with, so we all scattered. So everybody was in Austin. Mm-hmm. One of them went to San Francisco. One of them's in New York City. The yeah. other one's in Singapore. I mean. There's no one's geographically convenient. That's one thing I think is cool about going to like a, I guess a more well-known school. Like you know, people are going to go and they're going to be everywhere across the U.S. or you know in other countries. Well, there's you know there's that east or west coast flight thing that kind of happens. Yeah, and, and a lot yeah. and a lot of my friends that did scatter to the coasts, a lot of them kind of slowly migrated their way back to their home base, which is mm-hmm. either where they're from or where they, you know, the big transitory period in their life when they went from feeling like they're a kid to I'm responsible for myself. That kind of growth period seems to be where some people kind of eventually move back into. Mm -hmm. So I assume 
you got a lot of skills. I mean, I, I, mean, I sit next to you. Thanks. So I know what you're capable of doing. Were those skills that you picked up while you were in school or are they things that you thought would be valuable? So you added them to your own skill set. Did you have classes that taught you how to use the software that you're familiar with? How's, see, since... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think half of it is um, you sort of have a, uh, not a lifestyle, but an attitude that if you're going to learn something, you're going to learn as much as you can as well as you can do it um, if you really want to learn this thing. And so I picked up on those things in school and just made sure I was, you know, not the best, but I was, you know, proficient in what I was doing and I wasn't being sloppy in the way I learned something or. But did you, okay, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. So did you like say Revit, you know, Revit? Yeah. I learned that in this office. I didn't, I had no idea. I never learned it in school. I remember trying to use it on a second year project and I had this like crazy roof and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this in Revit. It's going to be really cool. It took like it took me two days and I was trying to figure out just to make this roof, how to do it in Revit. So it was too much of a barrier and I wasn't able to you know, edit it as quick. And I was, you know, so I just like skipped that and started hand drawing or I actually, I think I ended up modeling, like doing a chipboard model of it. Yeah. And I just gave up on Revit. So then I didn't learn it until. So you're a quitter. Not a quitter. <laughs> I decided that the program wasn't, you know, fitting my method, I suppose. Yes. So now when we get resumes that come in, the, the kind of the standard is mm-hmm. they'll have a list of softwares like Photoshop yeah. and InDesign or, you know, Rhino or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll give it a ranking like this is an eight and that's a seven. This is a nine and this is a four. And yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. So when I got out of school, those didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they should, they still still shouldn't exist. You know, they can't like ranking yourself like insinuates like, Oh, I'm only a seven. Like, okay, we're going to pick the guy who said he was an 8. Like, it's a self-ranking system. You, you should really make yourself a 10. Yeah, I mean, ten. that's ten. the thing, though. They bring it down a little bit just to make it feel believable. But, like, what's the relative scale here? Was there a test you took and it told you you were an 8 and you're going to Gryffindor? You're sorting half. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that if that existed, I know this with absolute certainty in my I heart. I would put Gryffindor before I would put out an 8 on Revit. Would you? Yeah. I would put on there... See, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't make the same conclusion because it's like saying, "Here's my familiarity with this software." Right? Okay. So there's yeah, some yeah. value to it, yeah. but I would, I would slip in like bear tracking skills six. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would put other things in there that are kind of like things, little Easter yeah. eggs, uh-huh. right? So if someone actually takes the time to read all this, they're going to see that this part of my personality exists. Yeah. Right. He's good at Photoshop. He's good at SketchUp. He's wow, really good at tracking bears. <laughs> Yeah, or can weld or things like that. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, welding is like, well, that's that's like you're the cool architect cool. if you know how to weld. But how many people really, cat juggling, I'm a five. <laughs> cat juggling. <laughs> you know, there's going to be something on there. And I think ideally you want to go to a firm, or at least I I value a firm that likes to see those things, you know, personality-wise, rather than just I'm a 7.86 and Revit and a Wow, somebody put that, I would. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's really what kind of criteria do they have in yeah, place to rank themselves as seven point? They, they know their six, value, I eight. guess. <laughs> do you feel your education prepared you adequately to contribute day one when you walked in the door? Yes, I think so. You I, think uh, so? Um, I mean, half of it coming to a new office is just learning. You know, it's an office, new envi- new office environments. Right? Learning How do we do things. it? But in terms of knowledge on uh well actually i mean i guess i guess i really didn't know how to like lay out sheets or you know construction document wise 
I know obviously like contracts and the way a contractor relates to an architect. I don't think I was as versed in that. Even your professional practice. Yeah, I, kinda... I took a professional practice class, but it was a little. It was a little more like what can an architect do? Different kind of participate. You know, not necessarily just as a plain vanilla architect, but uh, um, I Did... think I think in turn. I mean, I think in the broader strokes, I was more prepared. I think I had enough technical knowledge. Obviously, get a professional degree you should have some some technical knowledge i guess and then of course the more artistry to it i suppose okay i'm gonna call that a wrap on the college years thanks for being with us for episode 0002 if you like this episode and i'm gonna say that even if you didn't please be sure to head over to itunes and subscribe to the podcast so you get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice it's free and all you have to do is hit subscribe button on your podcast listening app. Hopefully while you're there, it'd be nice of you to leave us a rating as well. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, and photos from this episode. Be sure to stick around until the very end and we'll reward you with some outro tape that is definitely not worth your time. But they made me laugh, so I stuck them in at the end. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm already looking forward to our next time together. Cheers. Do you know this one? How do you know if someone's a vegan? How? They'll tell you. <laughs> do you remember that time when you smelled that dead hobo? <laughs> Why is he dead now? Aren't it's they all up. dead? Are there hobos still running around the country? Wow. We should take care of that problem. <laughs> Who? We is in the, in the United <laughs> States? Yes. We have a hobo problem in the United States. You've heard it here first. <laughs> Breaking news.